This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. This is C. Montgomery Burns speaking. I know you're a layabout and have no job because you're listening to 3RRR. Now get to work. Find something to do. Yes, this is Zero G on 3RRR. It is uh, one o'clock and I'm Megan. Rob is in transit. I have faith that he's going to be here very soon. But until that time, uh, today we are having a little chat with someone who has a show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And we will also be having a little look at Tomb Raider, which is the latest video game adaptation, which is generally a uh, troubled battlefield. Not all video game adaptations have been created equally, or if they have, they've all been created equally crap. Um, So we'll take a look at that. I actually did cover the original video game reboot, which is which this film is based on, which came out in 2013. Um, it's kind of a more of a young Lara Croft. So we'll see how they tackled that reboot with Alicia, Alicia Vikander in the title role. Um, we are on episode 1177. I will leave the punny episode title and podcast title up to Rob because I know that is his joy. Okay, yes. So this is Zero G and we're actually going to have a chat with the lovely Isabella Vallette today who has a show coming up in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival running from the 10th to the 22nd of April. It is called Game Show of Thrones. I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. Um, so Isabella is an actor, singer, dancer and comedian and she's done everything from stand-up to musical theatre in many of the continents. I saw you've ticked off quite a few um, of the continents, which is amazing. So welcome, Isabella. Thanks. Thanks for having me in. No worries. Um, so before we jump into talking, I guess, a little bit about the show that you have coming up, um, I did notice in your bio that you were in the Paris musical. Yeah, yeah. So we had John Waters in here, actually, and we did a little bit of an interview with those guys and they gave us a bit of a rundown on the show. So tell us about what your role was. Uh, so I was in the ensemble for that one. So I was the Greek chorus. Nice. Um, which was cool because we were on stage the whole time and so we got to watch the action unfold and sort of be part of this really um, incredible story that's probably one of the foundations of Western civilization. And I became really hooked on um, the Troy saga and got really deep in podcasts and all into ancient Greek gods and uh, philosophy and yeah it was a fascinating experience especially to work with the people of the caliber of John Waters and yeah it was really cool. And you've done a bit of your own one woman shows as well you've had quite a few of those on so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah um so I've done Three, well, I've done two shows, really two and a half. So I've done, uh, the, the first version was Media Release, which was about reality television, which turns out is a really huge umbrella to kind of unpack. Uh, so I did that and then that kind of got rebranded and uh, redirected into a show called Media Whore. Mm-hmm. And then my show that I did about two years ago is called Princessuous, which was kind of unpacking um, the sort of expectations that are put on women to be like princesses and does that translate into being an adult? Right, yeah. okay. So I'm seeing some themes here, a lot of the media and kind of roles of women and stuff. And does that feed into a bit of what you're doing uh, with your show this time? Well, not with Game Show of Thrones. Uh, game Show of Thrones is a pretty interactive, light-hearted... Well, it is a game show about Game mm-hmm. of Thrones. Um, so it's kind of more like trivia, silly challenges, um, 
the audience all sit in different areas as, as Bannerman, whilst comedians act as the champion. So it's, it's sort of a bit like a cross between a sort of gladiatorial kind of <laughs> combat, uh, roast to the death and uh, sort of a football match and also a trivia show. It's sort of nerdy but crazy. But uh, I'm doing a solo show as well in Comedy Festival, which is going to be tackling more more of those kind of issues. Okay, yeah. Um, and what kind of... What, how do you get your ideas for what kinds of shows that you might like to do? Like, do you just have kind of a, the seed of an idea or is it, do you collaborate with anyone? Or? Yeah, so for my solo show, I've got two collaborators. I've got a musical collaborator, David Butler, and I've also got a choreographer, Stephanie Turner. Um, a lot of the ideas can come to me, they're usually quite random. It's sort of in moments where you're doing some kind of perfunctory task where your mind just wanders. And like, for, I was sort of washing the dishes when I first started sort of humming one of the songs that I put into my new solo show and I just sort of put it into my voice recorder and then it it was done and then it's just about going back and tweaking it and then you kind of sometimes put a whole lot of stuff out there and then look at it and realise what the theme is or what you've been focused on or thinking a lot about and drawn to. With Game of Thrones um, I actually binge watched Game of Thrones about two years ago, the whole thing. Yep, that's standard I think. (laughs) Really hard, yeah. I'd I'd kind of been one of those people that hadn't seen it the whole time and I managed to avoid pretty much all the spoilers. I had like two major ones but they didn't spoil my ruining of it yeah yeah. (laughs) they didn't spoil my watching of it um how did you feel after that because I imagine even after a couple in a row I feel a bit strange yeah look there were times when I felt a bit sick where I found myself going through to about 4am and was Mm. like what's happening here and you kind of find yourself justifying to go on to the next one and so some of the seasons are certainly blurred into one kind of nightmare (laughs) um then other ones I experienced the last season the most recent one Mm -hmm. episode by episode and I right. found it extremely frustrating to wait another week and yeah 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 when you're used to having it all at your fingertips I guess then it's yeah. sort of hard to then be um yeah have it drip fed to you I guess it is hard and it's hard to wait till 2019 for the next series so I know they're really making us testing our patience <laughs> with that one I think big time and how are they not going to disappoint us like how are they going to pull all this together I know I I have faith I have faith yeah do you have any predictions um, oh, you know, this is the other thing too, is that I'm not quite caught up because oh, no. this is the thing is when I found out it was going to be delayed, I was going to watch everything. But now I'm like, look, I'm just going to wait and then I can kind of have it there, watch all of that and kind of spread it out for myself. Wow. Okay. Because, um, yeah, I'm not too sure why I'm not today, but I just kind of, it dropped off a bit. And sometimes you have to be in the real mood to watch some, you know violence yeah absolutely <laughs> but I will definitely be catching up in the near future I think because it once it's also once you get started it's quite addictive and that's it sometimes I just have time for that <laughs> you've got to carve out the time in your life I'm Terry Prackett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 with three exclamation marks. Back with Zero G, Rob Jan and Megan McHugh. And we're talking to Isabella Vallette from Game Show of Thrones. Oh, you announced that much better than I did it earlier. <laughs> with a lot more kind of fanfare. I'll it's practice. the kind of roll of the R that really yeah. got it. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're, you're listening to Zero G on Free Triple R FM here. Yeah. 
Uh, with the game show of Thrones that you're doing at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, where what's the venue again? Uh, so it's a pop-up venue, so it's called Comedy Ooh. Unexpected, Ooh. and it's at West Space Gallery in Burke Street. Everything's unexpected in um, Game of Thrones, isn't it? Yeah, so. it is. It's quite a fitting venue. Yeah. <laughs> and the format of the show, I guess, changes because there's a lot of different um, participation and things, so you could yeah. go one night and it'd be totally different the other night. That's it, yeah. So we've got four rounds, and uh, the, we've got games and trivia, but we have a, a different lineup of comedians every night. So I host it and I have four different people on and they each represent a house. Oh, great. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they choose different houses and uh, then the audience is seated in those houses and as, as much or as little they want to get into it, really. Yeah. Do you make them sort of, um, do you sort of say, okay, everyone needs to spread out what house they choose or do you find everybody's like, I want to be house, whatever? Like, is there a more popular house that comedians tend to choose to be? The comedians? Well, uh, obviously no one wants to be Greyjoy. Yes, okay. <laughs> but I like to put people on that because it's pretty funny to have Greyjoy. Uh, a lot of people want Targaryen and Lannister. Yeah, yeah. Well. And there's a certain type of person that gravitates towards Stark as well. People with a death wish. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But a solid moral compass. Yeah, And solid. still a thirst for <laughs> violence. Yeah, well, I don't know. Arya Stark's moral compass, I think, has changed a lot. That's I don't know. true. I used to think she was a hero. I don't, I'm not so sure anymore. I like that they're grey area. I love the grey areas. I would like to see uh, somehow in some kind of space-time Mm. paradimensional slippage, the houses from Harry Potter oh, yeah. swapped with the houses from Game of Thrones. Well, I mean, I think there's some natural work? pairings there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hufflepuff Slytherin would be uh, Lannister. Lannister, yeah, for sure. Um, Targaryen. It's like almost from Beaubatons or something. It's like from another school. Yeah, that is yeah. true. I, I definitely think, I don't, know, I don't know, what would Hufflepuff be? There's no real loyal and friendly houses in Game of Thrones, are there? No, there, I reckon there is. It could be like House, um, maybe oh, maybe Stark is Hufflepuff. It would make no, it Stark be, is Gryffindor. Yeah, Stark is Gryffindor. It would make Quidditch matches really interesting. <laughs> it's like one man left standing at the end of the match. <laughs> Terrifying. Terrifying. Oh, no, that's got me now. Who's Hufflepuff? <laughs> I want to know. I reckon it's, it's one of the more obscure houses, It would maybe. be. It would be a smaller house, maybe not necessarily one that's making a gun for the Iron Throne. Yeah. Mm. I reckon by the, by the end of this we can have an idea of it. Well, you know Leave my, it with me. You know my opinion on, on how stark someday somebody's going to come up. Some guy with awesome facial hair. <laughs> my name is Anthony Edward Stark. He killed my father, prepare to die, and he'll whip out his Iron Man suit and just go to town. And then we'll just have like a mishmash yeah. of your genres. It's be like Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fair, if, if Tony that. Stark were in house Stark, this this war would be over. Oh, oh goodness, he'd sort it out. Exactly. He'd sort it out. Cersei in season one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And he just whistled because you know the. Um, the walkers they'd be they're, they're sort of in the realm of asgardian sort of uh, oh, yeah. problems really so i mean you just call it thor and thor would just go to town <laughs> sort or, that out yeah. well i reckon the white walkers are kind of like a uh, the symbol like they're symbols of uh, climate change yeah you oh, know yeah. it's like just yeah. kind of this uncontrollable force of nature that no one really knows how to, how to stop or really what it is and tony stark I reckon would just have the scientific prowess to sort it out well i i figure that Agreed. um it's very deep, isn't it, climate change? The, the problem is, of course, George R. R. Martin hasn't finished it yet. No. So they've got to hold off the, the season, sort of waiting for him to to get through it all. I mean... And I guess it is the last. They've said it's the last one, isn't it? It's definitely the so end. The well, the showrunners have said they know how it ends. He's told yeah, them right. the main plot points, but it will probably differ from the books, I'd say. Interesting. Because there's such... Look, 
basically they're such idiots, all of the people in Game of Thrones. They've got this big thing that's happening that they mm. need to unite against. And like humanity, they can't do that. They just can't get they it together. They just can't get it together. I actually think they deserve to die. Everyone. Yeah, so you want to see a White Walker on the Iron Throne and everyone dead at their feet. Yeah, maybe, maybe with some cushions because it'll be colder, but, you know. Yeah. But I just think that's the way it should go. No one should survive. It just, yeah. The White Walkers will reign over everything. Yeah. Well, the White Walkers at least are pretty united with their, that's you know. True. They that's true. Right. They work together, together, together in their well. cause of... There are very few women in positions of leadership in the White Walkers. <laughs> That's so, true. You know, they need a bit more diversity and representation. Not without its flaws. Yeah, but, you know, they're fit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and active. They are very they active, like nature. Yeah. yeah. See, they deserve to Lots of steps per day, I would think. <laughs> yeah, lots of their Fitbit would just be absolutely, they'd be dominating. Well, if they, if they like, practice stair climbing on the wall... <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, that's it. And that guy's really good. The Night King's great at throwing that javelin. Like. I mean, yeah, we're talking Winter Olympics. <laughs> yeah, Winter Olympics stuff. Russians to look out. And he, and he just got straight on that. Oh, I don't want to spoil it, but that's, look, he's good at a lot of activities. There's the poster, isn't it? Winter is coming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't you snowboard. Yeah. Um, but, yes, yeah, sorry, I derailed that. So the, you've got different comedians every night. Yes, yeah, so you have they they come in and guest and yeah they choose the house and then they sort of bring their own energy to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's quite funny when one of them has never seen Game of Thrones. It's quite funny to put them in the it. mix. Yeah, or usually that person's the audience favourite actually because it's just hysterical to watch them blunder through. <laughs> I see. I see you've got a, a wheel as the logo for yes. it. So is there actually a wheel in this? Yes, yeah, there is. Oh yes, a wheel Great. of fortune. Yeah. At the end of every round, we we break the wheel, as Daenerys Targaryen would say. Oh, um, and uh, if it lands on your house, you mm-hmm. get to sacrifice a, a bannerman from another house. So oh. you get to kill someone in the audience. Brilliant. Yeah, it's ruthless. Carnage. Yeah. Well, yeah. You no, know, and in Game of Thrones, if you say someone you're fired, you know, there's a whole pitch and tar and yeah. Oh, yeah. flaming torches. Yeah. Someone yeah. just comes in and they get dragged out by the feet. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't physically drag <laughs> them out, but they, they die. Yeah. Oh, is, there, is there cosplay? Do you guys all dress up? Or is it like- um, well, actually, there isn't cosplay. No, I mean, I, I'd be cool. I'd be really up for it if audience members wanted to come in cosplay. A lot of people come in Game of Thrones T-shirts. I wear a Game of Thrones T-shirt. Uh-huh. I thought a long time about it because we did sort of cosplay for the photo shoot and actually wrote a sketch um, which we're putting online, which we have all the costumes for. So we sort of had it, but I wanted to be neutral as the host and right. I wanted the comedians to sort of be able to fly as themselves riffing instead of sort of locked into characters specifically sure. from a house. Because, you know, each character, like look at the Lannisters, like Jamie versus Cersei versus Tyrion, they're all so different, yeah. you know. Right. So, um, yeah, we didn't want to lock anything down character-wise. But cosplay is encouraged. I reckon I'm going to create some kind of... I want to create some kind of discount for people that come and cosplay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Get the mood going as well, I That's think. That's it. Yeah. Sometimes we've had other shows from the Comedy Festival on that um, they've, they've, they've gone on internationally and um, there's like the, um, Charles Ross and his one-man Star Wars um, mm. show and uh, there's been uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica and Harry Potter and so, a lot of other ones like that. And, and they've found themselves in the odd position of... of uh, sitting there, uh, oh, there's the Lord of the Rings one. Uh, sitting there and having like Sir Ian McKellen in the audience and Peter Jackson and that heckling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I would love. You know who I'd love? I'd love the guy that plays Ramsay Bolton to come in and see it. Oh yeah. Like I think that would send chills down my spine to see oh. his face in the audience. <laughs> but also, apparently, he's a really nice guy. I know. I think he has that same thing um, that the actor who plays Joffrey had, where people oh, see yeah. him on the street and they're like, ah. 
but he's lovely. And yeah. well, I mean, also he was just a child. Yeah. Um, and so people think he's just awful, but they're just nice. Apparently, actors. yeah, Lena Headey as well, who plays Cersei Lannis, to let people snatch their books away so she can't sign them and abuse <laughs> her. Yeah. It's like, it, it is fake. This is just a That's show. It. People yeah. get really yeah. into it. It's not it. like Star Trek. It's not real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. Thank you, Isabella. This sounds like a, a wonderful show for people to get along to. What's the, um, the details yes. again? Yes, so the rundown, the details. So it's showing from the 10th to the 22nd of April mm-hmm. and it's at the pop-up Comedy Unexpected at West Space Gallery. And he said that was in Burke Street. Yep. Very accessible. Uh, runs for about 50 minutes and it's on at 10. Is it on the same time every night? Yep. Yeah, 10, 15 p.m. every evening. So um, you can get tickets from the Comedy Festival website. I'll put some up on the program guide for today's show as well. Um, and yeah, cosplay it up. Any time is a good time to subscribe to Triple R. Not only are your subscribers filled with the warm and fuzzies by being part of the Triple R family and rocking the bumper sticker, a great bunch of benefits are available too. Triple R subscribers can win tickets to Triple R presented gigs, albums of the week, books, t shirts, and other prizes given away on air and online every day. Triple R also hosts weekly subscriber events, including exclusive live broadcasts in the performance space and subscriber film screenings. Subscribers receive our magazine The Trip three times a year and can access our full range of audio archives via the Triple R website. And subscribers can flash their card to receive discounts all around Melbourne. For the full list of subscriber benefits and more information on subscribing, head to rrr.org.au. Subscribe for your listening pleasure. Triple R. Hi, I'm George Takei, and I play Admiral Sulu in Star Trek. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G. Admiral? Hey, a guy can dream, can't he? <laughs> oh, my headphones are going crazy there. It's like, um, uh, what's her name in, uh, Agent Hill in, um, in Captain America... The Winter Soldier, where she gets into the vehicle and she takes the helmet off and she's saying, this is crushing my brain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In my case, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Now, uh, I just wanted to note, um, I mentioned this a week ago and, and we sort of were busy with Stephen Hawking uh, passing away and I, didn't, I did not want to uh, let this go by and that the Peter Nichols the Australian literary scholar, critic, essayist, columnist and broadcaster, uh, has died um, on the 6th of March this year. He was born in 1939 and was the creator and co-editor in 1979 with John Clute of the 1980 Best Non-Fiction Book Hugo Award winning The Encyclopedia of Science Fiction. Now that book has been absolutely indispensable to Zero G Mm. for all of our two decades and more production. It has just been the book that we have been going to constantly for different different, uh, moments. It's been through several different editions and so you know i mean peter nichols is just one of the guys who knows so much about science fiction Uh, he wrote a number of other science fiction related books about genre films and literature including some co-written with the great dave langford and even brian stapleford he was actually born in melbourne peter uh, spent 20 years in the united states and the uk uh uh, he was the administrator and editor of the Journal of the Science Fiction Foundation in England. So one of those people just who was 
indispensable to fandom. He seemed to be across everything from uh, Asimov's iRobot to Joss Whedon's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> and he actually even um, did a little bit of work on Robert Wise's The Andromeda Strain film, apparently. Oh. Yeah. Uh, as well as columns for the, um, the Australian, The Age, and some of that broadcasting for the BBC. Uh, he leaves behind five children, and his daughter is actually... Um, author and editor Sophie Cunningham. So, you know, the strain has gone on of the genre strain. And uh, he's also his, uh, his wife, Claire Coney. So very sad to, um, uh, to uh, note the passing of the great Peter Nichols. And SBS ha- actually screened a documentary about him called The What If Man, which was directed by Mark Atkin. And you may be able to find that still either on there or perhaps uh, on other sources um, as a tribute to Peter Nichols. Uh, okay, well, um, I wanted to uh, also go through um, a quick um, review of a film that I saw last week, a very small film mm-hmm. called Pacific Rim Uprising. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, directed by Stephen S. D. Knight, who, speaking of um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, he uh, had a story in the uh, the season eight comic book series called Swell, and he also worked on Smallville and Buffy and Angel, the television series, as and was a consulting producer on uh, Dollhouse. Uh, he also has credits in the show-running area of um, Spartacus, uh, Spartacus, Blood and Sand, all of those different riffs off that. So he's a a screenwriter, television producer and director. So he's the guy who was in charge of this one. He was also um, uh, worked on... What was it? Oh, another showrunner as well. But he works in... He worked on the Transformers Cinematic Universe, if you can think of... Get your head around that as an idea. And although Guillermo del Toro, the original director for um, Pacific Rim, uh, didn't direct this one, he was um, a producer for it. And so, on to the film. And you'd think that a film with giant robots versus Keiju would be just what my mecha mind would bind to. You'd be right, but that film was Pacific Rim number one, not this largely hollowed-out sequel. And sadly, there's nothing quite so cool as the moment in PR1 when one of the Jaeger robots hefts a freighter to use use it as a makeshift war club. In spite of some mildly eyebrow-raising ad hoc modifications to the mechas that play rather flatter than the concept deserves, they don't really make much effort to character up the individual machines either this time beyond naming them and giving them distinctive toy-selling configurations. Now... Two of the human stars of this film, John Boyega and Kaylee Spaney. Mm. Mm. Well, they do get to strike some moderately amusing sparks off each other's characters, mm-hmm. but it's a little too reminiscent of the Finn Ray duo from Star Wars to feel fresh. This film is set ten years after the war was won against the Keiju in Pacific Rim. So we've had 10 years for things to settle down and there's a potentially interesting explanation, exploration of the society that would form after something like that that they really don't get into too much. There are 
some areas, some cities that have been so devastated that they just become scavenger locations and hence the Star Wars sort of feeling of parts of the early phrases of this film. And basically Boyega, who's the son of the big hero from the first movie, not the hero, the uh, the commander. Actually, yeah, you know, the guy who uh, saved the day by... um, um, sacrificing himself. He's supposed to be his son, but he's a slacker son. You know how that goes. Mm-hmm. And he's a scavenger himself. Uh, although he has, still has links to the Rangers and the Jaeger uh, command. Uh, Kaylee is playing the um, the young girl who just happens to be able to tinker together her own mini Jaegers out of scrap metal. You know how it goes. And you know they're both going to end up being back in the ranks of the... Uh, of the force when um, it's required, not that force <laughs> in Star Wars context. And that's exactly what happens. There's no surprises at all with this film. Uh, it is good to see uh, Jing Tian again. Um, I've enjoyed her performances in a number of recent films, even though she's harnessed to a China to the rescue trope that's just as blatantly eye-rolling as any USA to the rescue cliches. I guess turnabout is fair play, but it's just so obvious and you just think, oh, guys. Um, in fact, there's some interesting things that, that happen in there. Uh, at least one of the characters speaks Mandarin and so he's subtitled, but he doesn't speak it very well and he gets taken to task for sounding like an idiot. And I thought, I kind of like that. It was, you know, again, that turnabout bit worked a little bit for me. Um, we've got a few of the other actors returning for this film. Some of the scientist characters have little roles, you know, including uh, um, Owen from um, Torchwood. That's the character's name on Torchwood, but anyway. Uh, yeah, and um, I just didn't... I couldn't get my head around this one. It wasn't as cool as the first one. Uh, and, you know, when you get into that, that mode in a film where it's been... Uh, edited with too much of an eye on the clock and it just races through the last hour of the film with very little respite and I just thought I feel like it's being sketched in here and it just didn't work for me so I'd, I'd have to give this um, a maybe review you know I mean I've <laughs> Godzilla knows I've seen worse Keiju films but you know this is a bit of a disappointment there's none of that send up of the genre that the first one had yeah it doesn't have ron perlman in it for a start you know how can you go get by from that some of the dialogue cranks up a little bit when they do send up a, some mm. of the, the tropes but other than that look you'd be better off watching the first pacific rim again uh, <laughs> oh, especially in 3d that's a terror yeah that's pretty bad then <laughs> or treat yourself to the wicked cool 2016 parody colossal mm. instead which is just yes. a, a tremendous Keiju film. And a very, I think, doing something different. And I always like when it's bringing something new yeah. but still respecting the trope. This one feels like it is, it's become the, uh, the trope that they're kind of effectively sent up in the first one and that's yeah, a shame. that is, yeah. Hmm. So a film I feel a little bit better about than Pacific Rim Uprising is Tomb Raider. Only a little bit better. Yeah, mm. uh, well, you know, it's an action-adventure film directed by, and I love the name of the director. Isn't it? Oh, so good. Roar Uthog. So good. <laughs> I think he's Norwegian. I'm going to fixate on that for the whole thing. Yeah, because I've seen his other um, film, uh, Cold Prey, uh-huh. which was uh, a horror film set in the ice and snow, not surprisingly. Well, so this is a pretty big catch for him then, getting this... Well, he he did do a disaster film called The Wave in 2015, which has nothing to do with that um, 
uh, fascist experiment that they did in the university, but more act- an actual wave from a tsunami. Uh, the screenplay is by Geneva Robertson Dwaret and mm-hmm. Alastair Siddons from a story by Evan Doherty and Robertson Dwaret. And it's based on the 2013 Tomb Raider video game, which I believe you know about, Megan. Yes. So I played said video game. So what they did was um, they rebooted the franchise and I think Square Enix, so they released in 2013 this new Tomb Raider, which was kind of a bit more edgy. She was younger. She was kind of this tough chick. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the tropes are still there, like the daddy issues, obviously, and her... um, But it's sort of... It was a reimagining of the video game, and it's an excellent video game. I actually really, really loved that. I played it um, all the way through, really enjoyed it. And there's actually a sequel out there, Rise of the Tomb Raider, um, which I've not played, but I've also heard is quite good. And I think they announced in tandem with this movie the third sequel. So um, just just clue me in on this. If you'd played that reboot game, um, sorry, if you played that game, would that be spoiling the film? No. So they take, from my memory, so I played the game as soon as it came out because I was super keen. So this was, what, almost five years ago, which is horrifying to think about. Time flying that way. But So I don't remember it a lot, but I do remember it is quite different. Some of the core elements are, they've got overlap and obviously what I've realised too is in the game it's set around her doing things by herself and having adventures and all of that and that's just not engaging enough for a film. So what they've really had to do is build a different narrative and I thought it was quite interesting the way they've done that. They've taken elements of the game and then built a more cinematic friendly story Mm. that could... Because the game is still very narrative but even the most narrative of video games you need to do a little bit more because ultimately you're playing on your own and that's just not as interesting in a film. So it wouldn't be spoiling it, no. This film functions as, functions as an origin story for Lara Croft, mm-hmm. uh, which we didn't really get with the other two with Angelina Jolie. No. Um, she is, she's, <laughs> she's rich, but she isn't rich. Uh, her father, Richard mm. Croft, has gone missing. Gee, this does feel a bit like um, one of the Angelina Jolie ones. Uh, and she has been making her own living as a bike courier. Yeah. Shades of Dark Angel. And... Um, it's been a while since her father has disappeared on an adventure mm. and so she um, is under some pressure to sign certain papers. Yeah. Now, the way this plays out is that you know that she's going to go off on a quest for her father. Yeah, she's clearly very strong-willed and capable mm. and also from the start it's built that, you know, this is quite a... Um, a sore, a sore point for her, her father's yes. disappearance. Yes, yeah, so she has daddy, they were quite close. daddy issues. Yeah. yeah. But not as close as she thinks, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, Alice, Alicia Vikander, mm-hmm. uh, who played Ava in Ex Machina and was Gabby in The Man From Uncle, is uh, the adult Lara Croft with some excellent performances by Maisie DeFritis and Emily Carey in younger versions of Lara, I thought. They were yeah. really good at that. Uh, Dominic West plays uh, Lord Richard Croft, mm-hmm. and we've seen him in, uh, sort of seen him in uh, John Carter. Uh, we have seen him as Jigsaw in Punisher Warzone. Oh, dear. Uh, we have a villain in here. We have a career actor who plays villains. Yes. Uh, Walter Goggins plays a guy called Vogel, who's a rival archaeologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been in The Hateful Eight. He's will be in Ant-Man and the Wasp. 
he was a death row murderer in the Predators movie. I mean, I think he <laughs> he's got it all. He going. knows what he's good at. <laughs> he is, and he knows what he can sell. And uh, I actually felt a little sorry that. for him in this one with his backstory in this. I think I know, dude, I know, but you know, you know. Uh, we have another actor called Daniel Wu in this who plays Lou Ren, a ship captain who helps Lara. I mean, which is I think. Um, Great. They have an Asian playing an actual Asian. An actual Asian, yeah. Uh, We've seen him before in um, Divergence Mm -hmm. and Tai Chi Zero and Tai Chi Hero, which are two excellent little movies. (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah, well, it was in those. Warcraft as well. Um, oh, okay. I knew, I, he was familiar, but... And they've got some interesting cameos in here from Sir Derek Jacobi, who's really got a nothing cameo in mm. it, but he's there. And Nick Frost, who's got a bit more of a solid sort of um, yeah. thing. I thought there was an Easter egg, but it didn't turn out to be. Jamie Winston plays his wife, Nick Frost's wife in this. Um, and she was uh, Kelly in the uh, horror zombie series Dead Set. Look, everybody, I actually think all of the acting in this is quite solid. I Yeah, I think she, Alicia Vikander, did a really great job at playing yes. this type of Lara. I think she was really likeable, really watchable, but she was tough. Like, I believed that she could yeah. put you in a chokehold, which says a lot because she's very slight. Clearly, those are useful skills for a bike courier. Well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> But I do think they set it up. I mean, I really enjoyed all the setup, the stuff that happened in London. Yep. I think that felt great. There's yep. some, a great chase scene. And I think they did a good job of making her believable. Some of the stuff she does later believable because I think that could have been a stretch. We got some of the backstory because, of course, um, she was raised as her father's daughter. And uh, there's a lot of... Um, uh, training that she got earlier on that they do reference. So yeah. does, some of the stuff doesn't come out of the blue. No. But I mean, really, I've... being a bike courier, it's fitted her up for, I don't know about that, can you run really fast if you're a bike courier as well? But I think like... the fact she's chosen something like that is her deep, because, you know, she's obviously yeah. trying to avoid some elements of life. She's trying to show that she can make a go of it by herself. Yeah, and mm. I think she's got a dangerous streak in her, which mm. they set up really, like, you know, she likes boxing as well. And, yeah, so we've got and that her courier on the bike, like she does some. I mean, I don't think bike careers in Melbourne are pulling some of those moves in the traffic. Um, mm. Well, who's to say? But they set her up as someone who has a bit of a flair for the adventurous. Yeah, she's a. Um, she, re- she her reactions are fast, so she goes for it basically, yeah, exactly. which actually is fairly you know. So all that makes sense. And I do think Alicia Vikander actually has a nice tone for comedy as well. Mm. Like there are some nice turns there where I think she does a nice job of not being. Not pushing it, but... Yeah. There's one moment, you know, she's not Indiana... This character is not Indiana Jones. No. Which is kind of a pity in a way. The wisecracking is not but really there. But she could be. But she could be. There's a there's a scene in the film where something goes from bad to very, very bad. Yeah. And she just looks at the camera and just says, seriously? But she sells that. Like, she that sells could have it, been yeah. quite... I mean, look, it's pretty corny, the whole thing, but... but I like her accent. Yeah. She sounds like Lady Lara Croft. Yeah. Uh, even as a bike career. Yeah, her accent was quite good. I think she's done a good job of that. And you know what? She actually runs really well. She runs a bit like Buster Keaton, just flat out, yeah. but, but with a, a deadpan face. That's what I mean. I believe her yeah. athleticism, yeah. even though she's tiny. So all of those elements are quite well done. But I, I think to me that the the quest that she's saddled with is a little bit dull. The thing that I find interesting is, and I think the decision they've made is they've tried, it's it's me- mending together 
Because in the games there's supernatural stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil anything. No, but, no, don't be but careful. But that's not necessarily – they take some, diff- some different approaches. Yeah. And I think it's that meshing of this is meant to be a very gritty and real type of um, mm. way of doing it. And I think maybe there's some different decisions and sacrifices that mean it can be kind of hard to set the tone properly. See, there's a, they, they give me, gave me a bit of a credibility problem. Uh, Loren, the ship's captain, um, he's just a, you know, he's, he's almost a comic relief sidekick, um, a bit of a drunk and mm. you know, all that sort of stuff. But when the time comes, he just mans up totally yeah. to an extent that I'd sort of thought, well, where's your backstory? How do you get to be so handy with a gun? And- like I think there's... There's so much great realism stuff, yeah. but it does mean sometimes when you get to the butt kicking action, because you've made everything seem so real, it can it kind of sometimes doesn't mesh. But I enjoyed this. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot more than what I thought I would. Okay, and I think there was some weaknesses once you actually like get to the action part, yeah, yeah. which is a real shame. I think that felt you're right a little bit. <laughs> Do you think that it? Um, I this is something I noticed. You know, having played one or two video games, I actually <laughs> in thought, your time, yeah. in my time, I actually thought they nailed that aspect of it, bringing it to life better than some other video game films have. Yeah, there were parts where I was like, oh, I remember doing actions like this in the game, and there's some key tools and things. It's always nice to see crop yeah. up in movie versions. You're like, oh, boss battle. Yeah, it's or like, oh, it's the pickaxe or whatever. Yeah, um, or I'm going to hang by an item, and the only way I'm going to get out is if I swing myself the right way, and if exactly. I picked up, and if I I picked up something beforehand. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I kind of like that. I I I think I appreciated what this film was doing, mm. and I think it's it was it was also kind of um, realistic in what it was trying to do too. Like I think I liked this a lot more than say a Kong Skull Island. I thought that um, she would have done really well on Skull Island. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like well, you know this is about liked and like, but I felt that the plot was a little bit undercooked. Yes, uh, yeah. and and they needed a couple of passes through the magic dialogue machine. Yeah, you know. sometimes it was a bit more about the looks and the setting of the scene than putting attention into some realistic dialogue. Yeah, or at least some fun dialogue. Yeah. It's an action adventure movie, you know. That's true, and I guess that's the thing. Something like an Indiana Jones, you get some of that fun. It feels alive, whereas this maybe was played pretty straight. I think the second, if they do a, a sequel, I think the sequel will be much stronger. I actually think they can go further with it than this. What I thought too is kind of the break at the end of this film is exactly what happens at the end of the first game. Uh, so, and which is why I really should play the second game because, uh, um, but I kind of liked that mirroring. They were, they were like, yep, she had to work with this for all of this movie and the whole first video game and the second round is where we might get to do some mm. some of the more typical Lara Croft stuff. Yeah. First off, I mean, I have no... Uh, first off, but wrapping up, I have no problem with her being uh, Lara Croft. It works mm. totally. It's a different Lara Croft. It's not an objectified one in spite of the obligatory poster where she's staring... You know, Long neck, a, old over, turtleneck. Yeah, of a dinosaur neck. Yeah. Staring over so you get the backside shot, you know. the one But that also, they, you know, side chest and all of that, yeah. yeah. The, one that, the one that they like for Hawkeye. <laughs> 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 I'm not kidding. There is an entire thing about, about Hawkeye's uh, Hawkeye positioning. positioning in posters. Well, and and, and why isn't he in the Avengers Infinity War poster? <gasps> well, because didn't he, didn't he retire? Oh, uh, well, 
well, you know. He's always retiring. Yeah, he's retiring. Quote, unquote. So anyway. Uh, Sorry, Avengers we digress. to one side. Um, I, I kind of give it a, I'll give it a, yeah, sort of Bobcat golf fight there. Yeah, yeah, all right, don't go on with it. I liked it. You liked it? I okay. did. I enjoyed it. I was, I mean, I think I knew I would enjoy it though because I yeah. enjoyed and played the video game. I like her as an actress and as soon as I sort of saw a couple of scenes, I knew I'd like what she was doing with the character. It, it's flawed, certainly, um, but, you know, for a trip out in the afternoon. Yeah, that's exactly how it played for me. Yeah. And especially because I... I, I Chain watched um, Pacific Rim, then straight into that. Right. Yep. yep. Uh, well, that's that's about it. We're yeah. wrapping up now, and um, yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't hate it or anything like that. No, no, it just uh, didn't stand out for you. No, that's no. fair enough. Um, you should give the game a crack, Rob. I'm actually thinking about that. What what did stand out for me was Netflix has dropped a bonus scene from the end of Star Trek Discovery's last oh, season. Oh, there you go. Just to show what happened to um, the Terran Empress. So check that out. If you can find that somewhere. And we also got the new Deadpool trailer dropping. Oh, excellent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said that like Rocket Raccoon. Oh, there's oh, yeah. a lot happening, isn't there? Oh, so, yeah. Quite a bit. And we're all in our run-up to um, Avengers Infinity War. Mm. You know, and Black Panther's just topped the domestic US box office for biggest superhero it's film got ever. got legs. You know. I mean, which is going to be great leading into the Avengers, I think. And Chris Evans has said he's not going to do any more Captain America now. And, oh, really? And, and if they kill Tony, which is a possibility, if they kill Cap and Tony, who's going to lead the Avengers? Actually, mm. T'Challa is perfectly placed to step into that. But he's got a kingdom to run at home. He can't be. Tension. Mm. <laughs> well, lots no. of, lots of um, maybe Hawkeye. <laughs> maybe Hawkeye. Come back. Well, you know, you know, it's not, it wouldn't be unheard of for Black Widow to lead the Avengers. Or, no, I like or even, that. Woman in a position of power, let's do it. Or, although more common would be the Wasp. Uh, yeah. But, but she hasn't got much experience No, so far, and so. she's not, honestly, she's not a big enough character, let's be real. Well, she's only like a tiny little <laughs> thing. <laughs> Actually, she can do the giant woman thing too. That's true. That mm. is true. All right, enough of that <laughs> speculation. Next week, we'll probably have a look at some more comedy festival items because mm-hmm. there's a lot of genre. And so if you want to... Um, check that out in the meantime. I'll put a list up on the Zero G uh, website when I get round to finishing my run through it. I've just about done that. And uh, yeah, we'll go off now with uh, Joe Brunatic coming up with Astral Glamour. Mm. Thanks, Megan. Thank you, Rob. This has been a podcast oh. from 3 Triple R 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly oh. independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.